Welcome to Luke 21 Radio, a broadcast explaining biblical prophecy in the tradition of St. Augustine. And now, from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Luke 21 Radio. This is episode 212, and we are studying biblical prophecy in the book of Genesis. You didn't mishear anything. Genesis is loaded with prophecy if you understand the beginning of all things is reflective of the end of all things. You get to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, Jesus identifies himself as the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And the two reflect each other. And what's very interesting, by looking at what we call protology, that's the study of first things. You, it's an, a lens to view eschatology, which is studying last things. And sometimes when you study last things, like in the book of Revelation, it gets so confusing and so overwhelming, it's hard to make any sense of it whatsoever, whereas Genesis, pretty clear. It's a good lens to begin looking at biblical prophecy. So we look at the beginning— protology to better understand eschatology. And today, we're still in Genesis 1, starting in verse 14. God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light upon the earth to rule over day and over night. Now, the great light is the sun, and the lesser light is the moon. But the point here, it's supposed to be as obvious as every time you go outside on a warm, sunny day, that kingship is structured into the universe. The sky is telling us something, and it should be obvious that rulership or kingship, it's the great light, the sun, and every time we feel and see the sun, we should think of the sun ruling the day, because God's creation reflects who he is. And then we go out at night, particularly if you see a full moon, but any moon, but particularly a full moon, it's ruling the night. And Psalm 19 goes right along with this, and I wish you could see my notes here. I printed this out and made some bold and underlining here of certain words. I'll try to emphasize it when I read it to you. Psalm 19 and verse 1 says, the heavens are telling the glory of God. So if you look up in the sky, it's trying to tell you something, okay? The firmament proclaims his handiwork. So there's a proclamation. It's it's something trying to communicate to you. Verse 2, day to day, pours forth speech. Listen. And night to night, 
declares knowledge. There's no speech, nor are there words where their voice is not heard. It's universal. Everywhere you go on this planet, it's trying to tell you something. Night or day, rulership, rulership, kingship, dominion, lordship. This is the beginning of the universe, and every day God has given us something to remember that. Now, depending on who you listen to, I mean, we're living in either a republic or a democracy. I prefer the republic uh, variety, but the universe is set up as a kingship, and the sun is what is pouring forth speech. It says, the sun comes forth like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of heavens, its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hid from its heat. In other words, there isn't a square inch on this globe that's apart from the kingship of our creator, and it's reflected in both the sun and the moon, pouring forth speech, telling us something that we're generally immune to, okay? Now, somebody might say, oh, there goes Steve, talking about kingship again on Luke 21. He's talked about that when we were in the Gospels. He's talked about that when we were in the book of Revelation. He talked about that when we were in Thessalonians, and now he's talking about that in Genesis. Yes, because it's really missed, and sent. the only thing we can get close to kingship is watching a royal wedding going on the other side of the Atlantic by satellite. Uh, it's, it's not a part of our everyday lived experience. And as a result, it detracts from us really knowing God as our creator king. And in addition, it detracts from our knowing who we are. I'm going to read you a couple of verses, or maybe just one verse, about you, okay? About you. In verse 26, we're back in Genesis 1, just a few verses down from the sun and the moon, ruling the day and ruling the night. Then God says, let us make man in our image and likeness. Now, there's been a multitude of books written by theologians and scripture scholars of what that means to be made in the image and likeness of God. And there's probably multiple things a person could say, but the next words, following image and likeness, created in the image and likeness of God, should form at least a significant part of our understanding of what that means. Because right after being made in the image and likeness of God, God says, and let them have dominion. Dominion is a kingship word. It's a rulership word. And God says, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. In other words, mankind, the entire human race, was created in the image and likeness of the king. And since we're created to be like the king, the king of the universe, the one who brought the universe into being simply through a word, has in his graciousness 
I mean, we're like ants compared to God, and yet he's allowed us over this world in which he has made, he has made us to share in his kingship, in his lordship over what he has made. Now, all that is protology. That's the study of the beginning. Does this have anything to do perhaps with the end? Well, let's go to a verse in Revelation that you can understand, but that, at least from my perspective, is more perplexing than all the beast and (laughs) catastrophic trumpets and bold judgments and everything else in the book of Revelation. This one is is almost incomprehensible, but it's, on the other hand, very straightforward. It comes from Revelation chapter 3, verse 21. Jesus is writing to the church. These were Catholic churches. He who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I myself conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. You see, after Jesus rose from the dead, 40 days later, he ascended into heaven and seated on the throne of God. And Jesus is saying in Revelation 3, you remain faithful through this chaos and persecution that's going on by evil kingdoms on earth. I will grant you to sit with me on my throne. Did you hear that? Can you begin to comprehend that? You, who have no business of going to heaven. Why? Because you're like me. We've all sinned. We don't even deserve to go to heaven. We don't deserve anything, really, but Christ has granted us membership in his kingdom. But what he is saying in Revelation 3.21, eschatology It's exactly what he taught in protology. You see, what God intended in Genesis, yes, Satan screwed up, but God doesn't, he isn't like some brat that says, well, I can't win, so I'm taking my ball and crying and going home. I'm leaving this earth behind and let it be corrupt. No, he is going to restore his original intention. I guarantee it 100%. And God says, let's make man in our image and likeness. Let him have dominion over everything on this earth. And then Jesus says, if you're faithful, this is eschatology now, you can sit with me on my throne. Now, we're going to take this a step further. And I'm going to throw out another word here. If you've been with me in the past episodes, you realize that uh, I've taught you another word about Eschatology is the study of last things, but there's a specialized version of that called realized eschatology, and that is certain blessings and benefits and reality of the future eschatological age, last age, has invaded the present age for those who have faith in Jesus Christ and in union with him through the sacramental life. That's called realized eschatology. And this is going on right now, right, right now. It says in Ephesians 2, verses 4, 5, and 6, God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, 
made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and made us sit with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, where's Jesus seated right now? On the throne of heaven. So we currently have royal status, even though we're still living in this valley of tears. And most of us as Christians don't have a clue about this, that we're presently seated on the throne. In fact, when you pray, you're not like a million miles away from heaven and petitioning a king who you think has his ears closed to you. You are seated with that king positionally, not spatially, positionally, and you're talking from throne to throne. You're part of the throne room of God. This is what the Christian life is to be like now, not hereafter, now. It'll be greater hereafter, but it's begun now. And why don't we realize something so obvious? Well, we're going to get into that in our next episode, but I'll just get ahead of myself because it has something to do with taking a rest one day in seven. A rest day in the Bible means God wasn't kind of worn out. A rest means the position of a throne, the position of a king and his regal posture on a throne. And if we're living a 24-7, 365 day a year treadmill existence, will be oblivious to the reality of our life right now, having the likeness and image of God restored through Jesus Christ. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 212 of Luke 21 Radio. Luke 21 is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. To learn more about biblical prophecy, visit us online at luke21.com.